As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So, the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast on the Athletic. Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman, our first post-game podcast of the 2020 season comes uh, in, in mid-October, just like we all thought it would. Ohio State beats Nebraska in its season opener, 52-17. to 17. And, I, and I think for the entire season, the goal of, of this kind of podcast won't be to just do like a straight post-mortem off the game because Lord knows some of the games aren't going to be worth it. And, and to be frank, I'm not totally sure this one's worth much of a dive into either, but it was the opener. It was the first time we've seen Ohio State in the year of our Lord 2020. And I was in the press box by myself uh, in Ohio Stadium. That was strange. We can talk about that maybe a little bit later if we want to. But but let's dive into the game first. You don't um, want to talk about how strange it was that I wasn't sitting next to you for the entire game for the first I'm time in five there, years, man. I'm getting there. Well, it's just called a build up. You know what I mean? Like I do. I intro to show. I build it up a little bit. I put like a transition in, like a like a bridge to get to the point to get to the. I point. just want to feel like you love me. That's it. Yeah, I know you're so needy. It's so. Yeah, uh, I didn't miss that in the press box on Saturday. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> How it typically goes when you and I are at a game together is thing happens, Ari overreacts, I say, this is why you're overreacting, and we move on. So let's do that now, since we're together for the first time discussing the Ohio State season opener, season opening win over Nebraska, giving your giving your greatest overreactions to Ohio State's win. That's what's crazy, because like I knew I was going to be overreacting to everything when you're like, yeah, this one might not be worth it either. I'm like, I've got like nine hot takes right now. That doesn't shock and me I, one bit. And I remember... And I remember, you'll have to reel me in. That's why I like talking to you. Um, and I didn't have somebody reeling me in all day. So I've been like stewing in my own thoughts for the last 12 hours. Um, the one thing I remember after last year's opener, who did they open with last year? FAU? Florida Atlantic. Remember uh, yeah. Lane Kiffin came in wearing that sweet tan suit and was sitting there on yeah. the sideline? Yeah. Boca kit, sun-kissed Boca suit. Um, yeah. I remember thinking, like writing a column about like, I don't know how to feel about that. And I tried to remember that today. Um, because I thought that Ohio State's offense was awesome, but I came away with two prevailing concerns about this football team. I thought their defense for a large portion of that game, their defensive line got their ass kicked. And hmm. I don't know if that's just like my per- perceptive perception of it, but Nebraska got what they wanted on the ground for the most part, and their interior defensive line was getting pushed back the entire game. Um, for at least a large part of the game. And two, I don't think the running backs are explosive enough um, to beat Alabama. So those are my two takes. 
And those are like the, the biggest like negatives. If we're going to just kind of, you know, listen, you and I both, what did you have? 48, 17. And I had what? 51, 17 or something like, I think we nailed yeah, we were, the, the we game right on it. Yeah. The way we thought it was going to go. So I'm not trying to sound like an alarmist and I'm sure you'll reel me back in a little bit, but the game as though the score was about in line with what I thought it would be. I thought Nebraska would hit some chunk plays or there might be a defensive breakdown or whatever, but I thought Nebraska for the most part got what it wanted on the ground. And that to me is an alarming thing if you're an Ohio state defense. And, you know, again, there's some people that were um, not in a position to play and it was the first game and, you know, Nebraska is a better opponent than most first week, you know, and maybe in two weeks, this will all be a joke. But if you like go and you look at Ohio or they're, they're rushing it, numbers they were averaging six yards a carry for the most part and a lot of that was quarterback runs and Luke McCaffrey they did some creative stuff with him um and I know that it wasn't just bang it out bang it out bang it out yardage but you know did you not notice or not think that when you were watching the game I didn't think that at all really I I thought it at the beginning um the beginning was flat for sure I thought there was not a great push from the defensive line at the start of the game the linebackers were like really out of sorts at the start of the game it took them a few series to to get figured out but you know, Nebraska's tailbacks, Diedrich Mills and Ronald Tompkins had 50 or 14 carries for 59 yards. Luke McCaffrey had a 47 yard run. Adrian Martinez had a 39 yard run. And you don't take those away, but Nebraska was not consistently moving the ball against Ohio State's defense. I don't think they were consistently running the ball in Ohio State's defense. I thought they had some nice schemed up stuff to put Ohio State's linebackers in conflict. And some of the issues that we've had with the personnel in Ohio State's linebacker room certainly showed up in terms of speed or um, discipline. Um, I think that happened. But I wasn't sitting there going, oh, man, if Nebraska's doing this, what's going to happen when they start playing better teams? Because I just – well, I don't know the, if they the are playing thing, any better teams. <laughs> the one, yeah, that's, that's another <laughs> Until the end of the too. year, but yeah. The one thing Nebraska did well was run the quarterback – uh, they weren't much of a threat passing the ball. They weren't much of a threat running the ball with their tailbacks. And and certainly there are dynamic dynamic quarterbacks out there that can beat you if that's the only thing that you allow an offense to do. And I don't think Nebraska is that team. And I don't know if anyone on the high state schedules that team. But I'm not I'm not anywhere near like alarmed by what I saw with Ohio State's defense. I thought maybe it'd look a little bit better. Um, and I think I'd like to see some of the younger linebackers get more opportunities when the older linebackers make mistakes, but I don't, I don't come out of that game thinking they're in serious trouble. Yeah, no, I don't think, I I hope that that's not the way I sound. Um, uh, I don't know that they're in serious trouble, but I do think that for the most part, the defensive line was not getting the push that we are accustomed to them getting. And I don't know if that's a lack of depth. I don't know if that was too much rotation, I know there was some, you know, and you were at the game, so maybe you can give some insight about where Zach Harrison was at the beginning. It seemed like he wasn't playing as much as I would have anticipated he would be playing. Um, And maybe it's just the interior defensive line is young and needs to get, you know, I mean, it's exactly what we talked about before the year. So it's not something that I feel like is out of nowhere, left field, holy crap, what's going on? This is an unfixable problem. I just thought for the most part that Ohio State would have at least had a more consistent push. Um, and maybe my vantage point and, and what I saw from TV was a little bit different from yours. Um, but do you want to talk about the next thing I said? No, I, I do want to. What's up with Zach Harrison? I, I'm not sure. It, it didn't come up after the game. It was it was a weird post game interview scenario. It was all on Zoom. Um, we got four people, and there are times after games where we get like 15 people. Um, so it was four people: Ryan Day, Kerry Combs, um, Justin Fields, and Wyatt Davis. And there were no questions asked about why Zach Harrison didn't play all that much. And it took a long time for Zach to get on the field. He did end up playing, and I think he had a sack, um, kind of cleaning up a play. But um, I don't know why he wasn't out there. I, I I do think what you saw from the defensive line was not... I don't think you have the wrong read on it. I, I think I would disagree that it was a thing that happened the entire game. I think it happened early. Um but I also think, like, you know, they're not super healthy there right now. I don't, I don't have the snap counts yet. I, hopefully I'll have them by tomorrow or on, on Hope Sunday finishes or Monday. Them up. <laughs> no, I get them from Pro Football Focus. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would be curious to see how many snaps Haskell Garrett actually ended up playing. He um, played really well, though, didn't he? He I did thought, play you well. Know, I, was, he, I mean, I was shocked he was out there. I was shocked he, yeah. shocked he played one snap. 
Um, but he did play well. I thought he actually gave him a little bit of energy um, toward the middle of the game. But like, like no offense, like Jerron Cage is out there playing a lot, or, or at least like enough that I noticed him out there. I think all things being equal, and Ohio State's healthy, that's not happening all that much. So, so they're they're at a personnel disadvantage, or just a little light in there right now. And and if it's a thing that's going to be the case all year, then I guess it is concerning. But we don't know if that's the case yet. And the fact that Haskell Garrett played and Teron Vincent dressed leads me to believe that it won't be the case the entire season. So yeah. I think that's something they can get cleaned up a little bit. Yeah, and as things go, and we'll talk more about this, but you know, Nebraska, honestly, having watched the whole Big Ten, uh, might be the third biggest challenge on Ohio State's schedule. Is that crazy? I, I don't know. Um, but well, what they did do you think? Play, they play East Division leading Indiana and Rutgers. Don't forget that. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about the Big Ten East after the game next weekend. You saw that they've already announced that the Big Ten or that the College Game Day is going to be in State College next week for the Ohio State Penn State game. And I was like, they're they're not going to be at the birthplace of college football next week for two one and zero monsters out of the Big Ten East. I made I made a snide remark about Greg Schiano on Twitter in the first quarter of the Ohio State. That was State hilarious. Game that, that was I, hilarious. That I, that I regret people. Now because Greg Schiano. I said. Uh, I said Greg Schiano coaching Rutgers and Ohio State's defense simultaneously is some real witch, witchcraft, but. Uh, Maybe the problem was he was he was diverting too much attention to Rutgers, uh, which played well today and beat Michigan State, and not enough to the Ohio State defense. Yeah, so it looks like Michigan State is going to be generationally bad uh, this year. Rutgers, Surpri- I'm surprised by that. Surprised by that. Yeah, they have. I, I, they're rebuilding, but I thought they. I mean, I thought they beat Rutgers. Yeah, you know who knows? Maybe uh, Rutgers is a much improved team, and Michigan State's offense has always been kind of team of destiny. Ooey. did I say ooey. But back to Ohio State, and then I think we'll break down more of the Big Ten um, as we go and the Penn State game. And We'll break down the Big the, Ten on the big football show all week. Yep. And then I'll just uh, go 4-1 on the on Friday show. And there you go. Make you can money. tell people to fade me on Tuesday. <laughs> fade um, Landis, though, running backs, what did you think? Um, Not a terribly great first impression. Uh, D- Doug Lee Maurice actually made this good point that I hadn't considered – um, in the post-game press conference, he asked this question of, of Ryan Day, and he said, like, J.K. wasn't great against Florida Atlantic last year, and then it got stuff figured out. And then Ryan Day, of, of course, he'll grab onto that, and, and he'll kind of take that that excuse. Um, I, I don't think it's – I'm not gonna, I'm not willing to say it's quite the same because the, the talent level is just a little different. Um, I thought there were openings for both Master Teague and Trey Sermon to perhaps hit some bigger plays, um, and they didn't – just they didn't see the hole, and it didn't happen. Um, Master T had a pass protection breakdown that led to Justin Fields getting taking a pretty big sack. Um, so it, they were they were fine. They they got a little more toward the end of the game when Nebraska was getting worn down. But early on, they weren't breaking tackles. There wasn't anything explosive. Um, it was kind of like Teague could run inside downhill okay, and Sermon can run outside okay, but neither one of them could do both. And um, I don't know if that's a problem or not. I guess we'll see moving forward, but. I wasn't expecting them to come out and look awesome, but I thought they could have looked a little better than they looked on Saturday. Ironically enough, like I used to argue with you about J.K. Dobbins' speed, and you know, but he hit a lot of home runs. Even if he didn't make it to the house all the way, he did hit home runs. Yep. And I got the sense watching the game that Ohio State didn't really have a threat to hit a home run out of the backfield. And I know, again, four quarters into this thing, I'm going to try not to overreact like I did last year and turn out to be super wrong. But I'm not necessarily sure that I feel like Ohio State has a player in the backfield, not named Justin Fields, who can take nothing and turn it into something big. And yep. you know, and I don't know if that's a, a make or break thing for your team as you're trying to, you know, d- dissect whether or not they're going to make it to the the playoff in the national championship game. But there is something special about having a home run hitter out of the backfield. And ironically enough, and and again, reel me in, Bill. That's just like <laughs> just like get your fishing rod out. But I thought that. The four carries that Steel Chambers had had more vision, more pop, more explosion than the other two running backs. And I don't know if and he had some pretty important carries in the huge, second half. So it wasn't just down carry. It wasn't just mop up time. And I'm wondering, A, two, what did you think of the rotation of the running back series by series? Teague went first and you know, they kind of split eleven and twelve. And then what did you think of Steel Chambers? Because I always just envisioned he would be lost in the shuffle, and then go back to linebacker because he's a super fast and athletic player. But I thought he looked really good in very limited sample size. I hate every other series. Um, I just don't like it. I don't think it allows either guy to get into a rhythm. Now, 
does that mean you got to pick one and roll with them? Maybe. And like, that's a hard decision to make, but you know, you get paid a lot of money to make that decision. I, I don't like every other series. Oklahoma did it at the beginning of last year too. And I went back and watched Trey Sermon's film. There was a lot of every other series with them. Um, and certainly Ohio state did it in, in 2018 with Mike Weber and JK Dobbins. I just, I just don't think it works very well. Um, I, th- I think you need to figure out which guy is your best one and, and sort of ride him more. And then you work in the other guy as you can put them both on the field at the same time. Maybe I, I don't know, but I just don't like that. And J.K. Dobbins went on the on the record last year saying that he was annoyed by that system the year before. Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? Yeah, that's what he said. And 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 I think that you know a running back just mentally wants to feel like they're the guy. And I don't know if there's a way that you can get both involved um, or to put them in a different position. But Bill, also the one thing that I I was curious about your opinion on and something that I was considering too is that when you do every other series. Sometimes the strength of the running back that's on the field doesn't match what they need in a specific situation. Right. And there were a few, at least one third and one or fourth and one carry where they were handing it the sermon in the middle and trying to get him up the middle. And he just isn't bigger or strong enough to get that. And, you know, maybe Master Teague would have been a better option at that time. And, you know, we joked about it, but it's like Justin Fields is their best option in fourth and short. And I, and I, and I don't know if this is going to segue into the next portion of the conversation, but. Justin Fields today rushed the ball the team high 15 times and was the leading rusher on this team. And I don't know if that's the way that Ohio State wants to operate throughout the course of the season. Well, some of them are scrambles. Um, I, I don't have that sure, breakdown. Sure. I don't have that breakdown on hand. I would guess that of the 15, maybe eight were designed runs, um, and and maybe two or three of them were sneaks. So I, I'm I'm actually that that number is not super alarming to me that the the scrambles making it high I think are more alarming to me than, than the fact that he had 15 total because um, that speaks to pass protection and they had some some breakdowns in pass protection um I just think I agree I agree with you on the on the situational stuff it almost like I feel like we see it in the NFL right if you have a running back who's who's you know elusive and and good in space but not good in short yardage, not good near the goal line to take them out and put somebody in there who's better. So like if this if this evolves into a thing where Trey Sermons they're running back until they get to the ten yard line and then you put Master Teague in there and maybe he vultures some touchdowns away from Trey Sermon, but I don't really care about that as long as they're scoring. Um, maybe that's the the recipe for both of these guys, but but neither one of them seemed to get into a rhythm. And Ryan Day talked about you know the the run game felt out of sorts and then clearly. It did, but but I think it's harder to work through that when you're taking out the running backs every other series. Like, how are you possibly supposed to build rhythm um, when that's the case? And and I do agree with you on, on Steel Chambers. They, he had four carries. I, I thought after he had that long third down run that maybe we'd see a little more of him, and it didn't really work out that way. Um, but I think when they put on the film, and granted it's a very small sample size, it's only four carries, I think they're going to like what they saw from Steel Chambers, and, and they, weren't gar- they weren't garbage time carries. And- so maybe next weekend – we see more of him. I, I don't know. I'd give it a try. you got to find whoever the best one is. And if it's Steel Chambers, it's Steel Chambers. I don't, I don't think you, have to, you can worry about it. And he wears number that. 22, so that's obviously going to put – well, 33 is a really great number for a 33 back is pretty too. good. 22 is better, though. And he's yeah. got the hair coming out of the bottom of the cell. But, um, but the third down and was it like 12 or 15 or so? It was third and long. I almost felt like a field position punt carry, and the hole was huge. So, I mean, I don't know. But he hit it that hole hard, burst, ran though, it hard. Right? and he, burst yeah, of it, yeah. Burst. I, I felt like that was the best burst from a running back the entire day. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that totally. Is it easier to have burst when there's more room to operate? Yeah, probably, but it's still... He, it was, yeah. I don't Michigan's know. It's just like, I, I don't know. Like I feel like I am overreacting to the two things that we thought were going to be their weakness going into it. Yeah, and I don't think you're alone in that. And and I'm I think a lot of people maybe have come out of the game that way. I I, I don't. I, um, I'm more and concerns not even the right word. I'm more inter- interested to see how they resolve the running back part of it than I am the defensive part of it because I thought they got some stuff figured out defensively. To, um, basically, in the last three quarters, certainly a little more in the second half. Um, I just want to see them pick a running back. That I mean, that's that's where I, that's where I'm at with that. Like the, the defensive stuff, I think it works itself out as they continue to get healthier up front. Um, they have a lot of depth at linebacker. Craig Young played a lot, well, not a lot, but way more. Like he played, which is more than I thought he would do. Um, so I don't know. I think they'll be okay. I thought the back end played pretty well, um, considering they have new guys back there too. So so I'm I'm good with the defense. 
for the most part, some things to clean up, but, but I don't think anything that, that suggests, you know, there's anything broken there. Um, I just think there's going to come a time where they're going to need to rely on the run. And that wasn't on Saturday, but, but it's going to come. And when it, when that comes, are they going to be ready for it? So, so I think they have some things to work through on, on that end. Even if it comes in January. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, it's it's gonna come. It could yeah. come in the you know it could not come until they play Clemson or Alabama or whoever it is they might meet in the playoff. But but it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same thing that happened. <clears throat> it's like a, a similar storyline to the stuff they did defensively against Clemson last year. It's like you didn't have to do any of that stuff in the Big Ten, but eventually you were going to have to. And then when it came time to do it, they couldn't do it because they hadn't practiced it enough. They hadn't repped it enough. They weren't comfortable. So might that happen with like Justin Fields can throw the ball all over the Big Ten, but when they get into a game like that. I think they're going to need to have they're going to have to need to run the ball much more effectively than they ran it today. Yeah, and although the running game and the running back position is kind of a has been a large portion of this podcast, I also felt every time Ohio State had the ball that Nebraska had like literally zero percent chance to stop them. So it's yeah. kind of like a weird mixture of. And I don't know if this is a segue, but do we have to do ten minutes of how perfect Justin Fields is, or is it just obvious? I mean, that man was was on point. His accuracy. Couldn't have been better. It was like Dwayne Haskins like accuracy. Yeah. Um. His. I thought that that was a very very good game, and you know it's like funny. I tweeted this, but it's twenty for twenty one, and the one pass that was an incomplete was like a forty or fifty yard pass in the air that hit Chris Olave in the face, and it was a really tough catch. I actually for him thought that was he, a bad throw. Was it? Yeah. Olave. That's the ben- that's the benefit of being in the press box. You can see the the whole thing, and I don't know if they showed up on TV or not. Olave was open very early, and yeah. Fields Fields saw him late and then threw the wrong kind of ball, and it kind of hung up. And Chris had to wait and wait and wait, and then he caught and it. And put he got, him in and a got, position. And he got to, upended. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but Fields made he made two poor decisions, and I don't even know if that's a poor decision. That's just a, a ball that's a little off. That one and the one that almost got picked, but ended up being pass interference anyway. Um, so it didn't count, and otherwise he was on the money with everything he threw. Yeah, and I think it's just like making a point that there's one incompletion in the game, and the one incompletion was a 40-yard pass that hit your receiver in the hands in the end zone. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of just a like yeah, and in that stuff is you're, you're you're much more easy to notice like who's open, when routes break, and all that stuff when you're up in the bird's nest, you know. But I, uh, right. you know, I I do think that I am more confident in the thought process of turning if Fields being what we thought he was going to be after watching that game. And again, overreactions in the negative can also be overreactions to the positive. Um, but I was very, very impressed with him. And, you know, you made one of these predictions in one of the pieces that you wrote last week about how you think Justin Fields could surpass um, Trevor Lawrence as the number one pick in the NFL draft. And I know that might some people might like listen to this podcast and roll their eyes about that. But what I saw today I don't know how an NFL GM could look at that and not that laser that he threw to Garrett Wilson. That was great. I mean, how? I mean, I felt like I was afraid for Garrett Wilson. I didn't want the ball to go through him. <laughs> I mean, that was a that was a dart. Was that what was that? A laser show? Laser show. Forty two yards right down the middle of the field. Timed up really well. Ball put in a great spot. Um, that was a Troy I Smith thought, throw. Yeah, I thought his other than the. Olave throw and even that the Olave throw the ball placement was still pretty good I I think you need to the thing with with fields and it came up last year too is sometimes I think he gets crossed up on like when he should throw a fastball and when he shouldn't because he's really good he has different speeds which I think is is an asset but I think he's still figuring out when when to use kind of what which pitch or or which club whatever whichever other sport metaphor you prefer um 
and he got crossed up on that particular play. But the ball to Wilson, I think, called for a fastball, and he, and he threw one right down the middle of the field. It was great. Um, he had a great touch pass to Wilson in the – I think it was toward the end of the second quarter um, when they scored there going late. They called a, a mesh concept, which showed up a few times. I was happy to see that. And and Wilson was running across the middle, and Fields kind of floated it a little bit, put it right out in front of him, and Garrett caught it and ran uh, for a 16-yard reception. And we didn't see a ton of that from Fields last year. He, he checked down to the running back in the middle of the field. He checked down to a tight end in the middle of the field. Like That's stuff that doesn't wow people, but for me, that's growth for a quarterback. Um, Film study. I thought he looked really good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do a – I think I'm going to do like a – it's hard because they've only played one game, but I think I'm going to do a like Penn State, Ohio State film study thing this week. Okay, uh, I'm going to keep saying overreactions, and then you tell me I'm crazy. <laughs> Is that, like, okay? Yeah. I'm going to say something right now, and I don't want it to come off as an insult to anybody, but I'm just going to say it. Okay. Ready? Garrett yeah. Wilson is better than Chris Olave. Um, hmm. And they're both, in my opinion, let me preface that by I, saying that I think they might both be in the top six in, in the country in, in wide receiver. So they're both elite, elite, elite players. But I think that we are witnessing the development and the growth of a potential Bolitnikov winner. I think when it's over, meaning both of their careers are over, we will be saying that. I agree with that. I don't know if I'm ready to just give that to Garrett Wilson yet, but I think you can look at the projection of both players and Olave's great. He might be a right, first rounder right. this year, and that's why I'm saying I don't want um, people to be. Don't focus on the Olave. In, don't take it as an Olave insult. Take it as a Wilson compliment. He is going to be everything we thought he'd be, and I, and more playing in the slot this He's year. He's faster than I thought he was. He's fat. I, I want to see. Yeah, he is. Fa- he is faster than I thought he was. Than I thought he was too. Um, but even his like suddenness. He was always a good. He was a good route runner, but like his his short area stuff in, in the slot was a little better than I thought it would be. Great hands, great speed, great route running, great range, Papa great Jones. versatility. This guy is going to be a first-round draft pick. You can see it. And yeah. I, I know that people think I'm crazy, but, like, when somebody is great, you can see it. And, you know, I think he I has know. flashed in a different way. Even that catch that he made the, on his back. did you? Where he, he, fell down, like, yeah. he fell down, yeah. He fell down. It's just like the guy's a pro. You can just look at it. It's, he's, it's, yeah, it's clear he's as flashed. day. No, no, no receiver I think has flashed the way that Wilson has flashed here since Mike Thomas. Right. Um, and I don't know. Whenever we're done having this discussion, I also want to talk about another hyperbolic tweet that I put out there. That was but, uh, yeah, we had a nice chuckle about that one in the press box. But so, I can't think. Of, I can only think of one that was better. Yeah, I tweeted that Jackson Smith and the Jigba was one of the best catches that we saw in the last ten years of Ohio State football. Michael Thomas's catch in the in the in the. Sugar Bowl against Alabama's one. What would you say is better? I can't think of a single one. And I know that, like you and Doug and all the people who like to joke about my tweeting habits during the games, probably you know we're texting it to each other and laughing at me. But now that we're actually breaking it down and talking about it, what would you say was better? Um, that was insane. That was in, the awesome body Mac control. That was insane. Against, uh, awesome Mac had a good one against Oklahoma in yeah. seventeen, I think, um, where he fell on his butt. Um, that one was pretty good. No, I, I think I don't. I think it, I think it's probably the second best catch I've seen. So what were you team. chuckling about? Uh because every every tweet you have about Ohio State is this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of football. It's just yeah. uh, you weren't wrong. It's just every somebody said did you see what Ari tweeted and I said no, it was a crazy hyperbolic and then they said here's what it was and I said oh, I kind yeah. of agree with that. But it actually was true this time. Yeah, that one was true. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, he contorted in the air. It's like he stopped in midair and got his foot down. That's a freshman. And I know people are annoyed and and tired of hearing stars matter. You can't teach that shit, man. That's just like the amount of talent that Ohio State has in their wide receiver room is is creepy good. Scary good. Yes, thick, scary good. (laughs) I watched Liar Liar the other night, and he says, hey, creepy. You know that? (laughs) Um, It it is uh, uncomfortably good. Some, uh, some, I won't, I won't name names, but did you see the tweet about Ohio State not having good receiver depth? No. What? That was, that was funny. Remember Somebody the on the beat? Go, go check it out. Yeah. Why um, don't you send me a link to it after we're done here? Cause I don't even know how to begin to search for that. 
Uh, I thought, yeah, Smith and Jigby only had two catches for five yards, but somebody he, who gets paid to write about Ohio he, State he said made that? the most of it. Yes, yes, we all make mistakes. Was the, some of us okay. said that letting Alex Grinch go was a mistake? You know, we'll we'll own up to it. It's okay. Broke the golden rule: never tweet. Hmm. I tweeted. I thought I thought we'd see more of the freshmen in general. We, I mean, it was it was Olave and Wilson and Juice Man when they played with three receivers a lot until Olave got hurt, um, which is a storyline for the week for sure. Ryan Day said that Chris Olave. <laughs> Chris Olave, quote, had a good look in his eyes after the game, whatever the hell that means. Um, he took a nasty shot to the shoulder and head. Yeah. And, and he took went a few, actually. Yeah. He got hit pretty hard a couple times. Um, Nebraska was, yeah, Nebraska was was coming close to hitting Ohio State players in the head quite often. Um, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not totally sure what that was about. Um, maybe did just you, rust. Did it seem like maliciousness? Like a malicious? Because uh, I thought the like, targeting at the end. You know, I think there's a lot of – I feel like some of these hits that would have been celebrated five years ago are now being couched as malicious. And I just, like, don't know, like, if a player is jumping up to catch a football, it's like the they said this on the broadcast, too, that sometimes even that the receiver or the quarterback is incentivized to put a ball in an area where a receiver can get laid out because it's easier to draw a penalty that way. And the second one, I don't remember – I can't remember exactly who caught the ball, but – it was, um, I think it was Wilson. The one where he like leaned in and hit him in the shoulder. And there yeah. was no head-to-head contact and kind of launched. It's like in football, and we don't have to get into this targeting, not targeting thing, because I think this could be a discussion about everything. It's annoying. Everybody's got flashbacks to the Fiesta Bowl. But sometimes I feel like trying to, to hit somebody hard to jar the ball loose isn't malicious, and now it's being couched that way. And I think there needs to be... I think we can all agree that there needs to be some reform on how we, you know, use this rule. Yeah, I just don't know if I've ever seen a game that had four targeting. Yeah, there was a lot before. of them. There were yeah. four, and we're all on, all on the same team. And then the one with, that I thought looked like targeting on the, the hit, of, hit on the lave uh, was not reviewed. Um, so anyway, yeah, we don't have to. We don't. I was concerned for him on that one. That one was that, that was, was nasty. Real, yeah, that was nasty. Um, they had another injury scare with Wyatt Davis, but Wyatt came back in on the very next play after a timeout. They're going to put Dewan Jones at guard. That was like it didn't it didn't play out on the field, but we got to see like their contingency plan if they lost an offensive lineman and Wyatt Davis got hurt and Dewan Jones is going to play right guard. Wow, um, and that's why you go to the games right now. That's why you go to the games. Yeah, I don't know if that showed up on TV or not. Um, I don't know how we got on that point. What we were talking about Chris uh, Olave. targeting and Chris Olave and the receiver depth. Oh, the freshmen. The freshmen yeah. not playing as much as I thought they would. Um, Julian Fleming came on after Olave got hurt. Um, Smith and Jigba was probably out there the most, but I think only had the two targets and the two receptions. And then G Scott was out there a little bit. I don't know if I saw Mookie Cooper. Um, I thought we'd see them a little more. It was not, it was not receiver rotation. And maybe part of that was because the game was a little weird and didn't really get blown open until, um, the second half. Um, I'm not really sure about that. That's another thing we didn't get to. Like, I think that what's going to happen with these games a lot is we're going to have more follow-ups than normal for Ryan Day on the Tuesday press conference because these Zoom calls are just shorter and yeah. I think a little harder to get information off of. So following up on the freshman receivers, following up on Zach Harrison. His takeaways are going to be fire on Tuesdays. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gives me – it's more incentive to write them because sometimes those Tuesdays can be a little uh, – A little dry, yeah. A little light, little light on the information. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think this week's will be. Yeah, so anyway, if you want to continue, like – because I, I – we're about halfway through here, and I know we want to talk about Penn State. We want to talk about Michigan. But the other thing I wanted to talk about and I think is an important thing to touch on, and then, of course, you if you have things that you felt like we haven't turned over, I want you to tell me too. But Jack Miller getting into the game first? I don't know if that's just like luck of the draw, who gets in first. How much stock do you put into that? And also, uh, yeah. Tutty season with him, huh? Yeah, and he uh, Ryan Day scored a touchdown with Jack Miller at the end of the game and then apologized for it after the game. And I was walking with uh, Mitch Sherman, our Nebraska writer, out of the stadium after the Zoom conferences were over. And I said, uh, 
I said, I don't know Scott Frost very well, but I would imagine he would have preferred Ryan Day not apologize for scoring a touchdown against him <laughs> late in the game. And he's like, yeah, I think that's probably the case, too. That was weird. Like, we thought all week, like, is Ryan Day not going to try to put the hammer down on Nebraska? And then he scores a touchdown with, like, 18 seconds left with his backup quarterback to hit the over and then came, comes out after the game and apologizes for it. Like, apologizing for it makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Than, yeah. Than just I mean, it. I didn't – I don't think anybody watched it and thought that was, like, in poor taste. It never crossed my mind until Ryan yeah. Day said something about it. If people I are think- sweating the spread in the middle of the fourth quarter, you can't run the score up. <laughs> That's a rule. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it might have, like, rubbed Nebraska fans the wrong way, but – I don't know. I think I think a team taking a knee inside the five yard line was more of a slap in the face than just playing football. And if you score, you score. Yeah, you know, and good for um, Jack. I mean, he's had a long year, so you know, with some of the injuries, missing some time his senior year, and then coming to Ohio State, and everybody thinking that he was just going to be the guy who transfers between him and C.J. Stroud. I thought it was cool that they. You know, well, they lost their stripe at the exact same time, um, yeah. even announced at the, by the second at the same time. But, you know, I'm assuming that in the next game, I don't know how much stock you can put into this until you see the next game, and I think CJ will be the next one in just for the sake of balance. But for, for, not, for him to get in and to, you know, get out there and run a little bit, show that he's a, a dual threat and get into the end zone must have felt really nice for him because he, again, has had a pretty tough year. He he moved better than than I thought he would. He had, he no, had two, he, yeah, he's a great mover. Two nice runs. Um, I think that was more of a nod to a guy who had some injury stuff, like you've mentioned, who's not played a ton of football in the last two or three years, and also a guy who stuck with the program for a long time. Like yeah, through, I was gonna say some shit through, you know, them recruiting another quarterback. I, I I don't I don't think any of that was through Urban retiring. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think this isn't to say that Jack Miller has been poor in practice because I actually you hear some things that maybe he's been playing a little well, a little better of late and made that a closer competition. But I think that was more about a a nod for loyalty than it was an indication of where that battle between the two of them stands. And I actually thought when they put Jack Miller in the game, like he was going to come out and take a snap and then they take him out and put CJ Shroud and take a snap. Um, And someone else joked that Justin Fields was going to play the entire game just so Ryan Day doesn't have to reveal who the backup quarterback is, which I thought was funny too. Um, you but, think he played a series too long, or do we just do this? Is it no? He didn't play a series too long. Go let yeah. Justin Field try to win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Um, well, the announcers on the game were like, "Holy crap! I can't believe this guy's in the game right now." <laughs> yeah. Well, when it's fifty-two to seventeen, you got to find something to talk about, I guess. Yeah. Um, it was cool to see Jack play. I wish they would have. I don't. I don't. He didn't throw the ball, right? I wish they would have let him throw a pass. But I get why why he didn't. Um, but yeah, I, he actually. For for it being like total garbage time, I actually thought he he showed something that was like a question I had about him, which was his mobility and athleticism, and I thought he looked pretty good uh, running with the ball. How would you compare it to Tate? You know, no one's Tate, um, but but everyone can can strive to be as good as Tate with the ball in his hands. I mean, that's that's magic. That's pure magic. I love the number nine jersey on a quarterback too. I don't know if that's just what Joe Burrow did to my mind or what, but it. it yeah, Solid, savvy, uh, savvy move by Jack Miller to slap on the Joe Burrow number. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe there'll be some similarities in their, in their careers. Yeah, I wonder um, how much CJ is going to play in garbage time next week. If there is garbage time in Beaver Stadium, I was making a joke as as, as an effort to transition into the next part of the podcast. He's number fourteen now. What do you think of number fourteen? Who a quarterback number Stroud? He was wearing fourteen on Saturday. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. He I mean, was one of the seven, greatest quarterbacks great. ever wore 14, but I think seven's cooler. Yeah, seven's cooler than 14. But nine 14 is, is a pure pocket passer number. Yeah, 14, yeah. Yeah, 14 is uh, some of those statues that like Penn State used to trot out there, like Anthony yeah. Marley. What was uh, Hackenberg's number? 14. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Every every slow white quarterback that's ever played for Penn State wore number, wore number fourteen. Vinny Testaverde was fourteen, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, it's an underrated number, and like I don't know if it's just because I think Bernie Kosar was was a cool dude, but 19 is a cool quarterback number that we don't see very often. 19 is always the number I give myself when I create myself as a quarterback in video games because it's my birthday, oh. and it does look good. Cool, dude. Yeah. I'm buying a better. PS5 in a few weeks. Are you excited about that? Nice. I'll keep my PS4. So, anyway, I don't know how much you got to watch the Penn State game, but that was the drunkest game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I caught the end, obviously. Um, I didn't see the whole thing, and I'm not – I don't want to do anything that, like, approaches breaking down Ohio State versus Penn State here because I just don't – I don't know enough to do that um, yet. But I do think it's interesting that uh, Penn State lost when I said they would lose. Yeah, you did say that. I'll talk about um, being right. They won. They gave the game away. I, I don't know. Yeah, they did. Um, <laughs> I was actually wrong. <laughs> should should and we'll we'll go. I mean, I think Ohio State's going to win by more than whatever points they're giving. So I don't even know what the spread is. Lay the points. That's my analysis of next week's game. I watched that game from start to finish, and that team cannot hang with Ohio State. I don't know how much better they are. I don't know if it was just dysfunctional. Um, you know, sometimes you just play those games where no matter what you do, it's wrong. And, like, I don't know that if that's always an indication of you're not very good. But if you watch the first half of the Penn State game, like everything that they were doing was just wrong and off. And they finally got it together in the fourth quarter and had a nice comeback and, you know, put themselves in a position to win the game. And it's just, like, still the the dark cloud of can't do anything right. was over. Even when they score a touchdown, it was wrong, you know. And... You know, they had opportunities to, to stop Indiana at the end of the game, and they scored first in overtime, and, you know, Indiana did what it had to do and give them credit. I know you've been high on them, and, you know, I thought it, they were really fun to watch. Um, but Penn State was better than Indiana. They just played a terrible, terrible game. So I don't know if in a week from now uh, they'll play their best possible version of a game and give Ohio State a game. But when you look at – I thought Ohio State played a offensively an 8 out of 10 or an 8.5 out of 10. And I think defensively a six or seven out of ten, and like if they play nine and eight against Penn State, I think they're gonna they're gonna give them a good old fashioned shit pumping, and uh, you know that's my word that I like using, and I'm gonna stick to it. I, I don't know. We'll we'll get into this next week. I'm assuming on our next podcast, but I think that if that game was scary to you going into this weekend as Big Ten football kicked off, it got less scary um, for their Halloween empty stands trip to Beaver Beaver Stadium. I agree with that. Um we will that that this game will be talked about quite a bit. We'll we'll hit it on our second episode this week. I'm gonna hit it again. We'll hit it on the big football show probably several times over the over the yeah. course of our daily shows. So if you're looking for like in depth Penn State, Ohio State talk, it's coming. But um I agree I agree that that something is lost i think a little bit with this going into this matchup now on on saturday someone sent me a, a tweet that said this is bad for ohio state that penn state lost like no it's not i love ohio state, just has to, ohio state just has to win all those games so ohio state's fine in terms of like getting to the playoff like whatever ohio state, if ohio state wins all those games and wins a big 10 it's going to the playoff you don't have to worry about what penn state does or what indiana does or what michigan does somebody tweeted at me and said is this bad for ohio state meaning like penn state's gonna have a chip on their shoulder like i love these people yeah, I think that, I mean, Penn State was going to want to beat Ohio State either way. So, I, I don't know. Um, I'm interested to watch that game, which I will do some point in the next day or two, to get a feel for what I think of, of Penn State's talent. It was weird. Like I said, I saw the last I, – I was I was writing as it was happening. I probably paid, paid close attention to the last five minutes in overtime. And then I went back and looked at the box score. And I was like, "How did Penn State lose? Because like they yeah. they doubled them up in yards, they doubled them up in third down conversions, and then it was like, oh, they had ten penalties and three turnovers." Did you um, see the end of the first half? No. Penn State was down by ten, and they was a minute and a half left in the first half, and they fumbled the ball away, and then Indiana recovered it, and then Indiana, for whatever reason, with only seconds left on the on the clock, ran it instead of kneeing it, and then Indiana fumbled it. At their own fifteen, and then Penn State missed a fifteen-yard field goal. Or oh, I saw the missed field goal. I saw the yeah, field goal. and it was just like, what's going on here? It was just like one of those yeah. games where no matter what you do, it's just you, you you can't do it right. Yeah, and sloppy. It was sloppy and uninspired, and you know I, I don't know what how else to put it. And even though I think that Penn State would probably beat Indiana seven out of ten times they played, 
Um, you got you can't do stuff like that. And then they went on an eight minute drive in the third quarter and missed a field goal after that. It just it was just like no matter what, it just wasn't going their way. And it's no wonder they didn't win that game. And I think they made the right call at the end. So, um, but like now watching Michigan play on Saturday night, um, and they they blew out. Minnesota, and I thought that Minnesota would either win or cover the three that they were getting. It makes me wonder, is this the best version of Michigan that they could have hoped for coming into this year? And is like Ohio State's game against Michigan really the only roadblock standing between the Buckeyes and the playoff? And then are we going to do this whole shtick again where we give <laughs> Michigan too much credit and then it's 59 to nothing? I, I don't know. But I thought that Michigan looked infinitely better than I thought they would tonight. Or on Saturday yeah, night. they looked they looked. Uh, fairly crisp. I'm not. I'm not ready to to say much about them because Minnesota was shorthanded and like both of their lines just got annihilated by Michigan. And you give Michigan some credit for that, but I want to see someone with like personnel to give them more of a more of a stiff competition. And I don't. I don't know Michigan. I think Michigan plays Michigan State next week. Um, what exactly their schedule breaks down? Like I'm not sure or when that game might come. But you know, like Joe Milton. Looked okay, athletic, really strong arm. I think he was like thirteen of nineteen or something like that. Like he didn't he didn't set the world on fire, one hundred and sixty yards. Um, but but certainly Michigan could have looked worse. I don't think Michigan looks sloppy. Um, I don't think Ohio State looks sloppy. Wisconsin certainly didn't look sloppy against Illinois reason, on Friday night. I think the reason why I'm saying that, Bill, is through four quarters of Michigan football this year, I think they might have their best quarterback they've had. And I don't know, people said he can't throw, whatever. But size, smoothness as a runner, um, I think that they have the tools there to be maybe a dynamic player. And I'm excited to see how that evolves going into December. Yeah, he's got the best potential of all the guys they've had, I think. Because Shea Patterson, we, we knew what Shea Patterson was when he got there, and he ended up being, I think, exactly what we thought he might be. Um, and before that, it was a bunch of like transfers and guys you would just hope can string some nice games together. So that was so also Joe another grade A tweet that you had today. What was that? The one about Jack Cohn, or was that last oh, night? Oh yeah, Jack Cohn. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh <laughs> waiting for Jack Cohn to enter the transfer portal from Wisconsin, <laughs> with the, like with the Doctor Evil emoji. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Jim. Um, yeah. No, they might they might have a dude there. Um, and, and Joe Milton. We'll, we'll see. I want to let it play out before I, I start to say like, oh, here we go. We're on a crash course for or a collision course for Ohio State versus Michigan in a game that's actually going to be good. Um, because I don't I don't think that Minnesota team. I don't, I don't know what it was going on with that Minnesota team, but they like in the in the trenches trenches they did not look like a team that's going to have a shot at all to win the Big Ten West. So I don't know if they're missing guys there or what, but that did not look good. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. You, like the idea of. Penn State coming out and playing sloppy and not, and not looking like making making mistakes and those mistakes costing Penn State and and them losing a game. I don't know like that that never really felt to me like it was out there for Ohio State, but certainly some degree of sloppiness was. And I thought like large not largely they avoided that, but they did a pretty good job of avoiding that kind of stuff. For for a team that had a weird off season and started their season a month and a half later than it normally would. I think had like a, a lot of pent up energy and aggression, um, and that can manifest itself in bad ways sometimes. Uh, I thought Ohio State was probably, I don't know. I guess I'll ask you that question. Like, what percentage of like max Ohio State do you think we saw on Saturday? Seventy. Yeah, I think it was like seventy-two, seventy as well. And they uh-huh. still. I thought you meant seventy-two. No, no, sorry, <laughs> seventy as well, and yeah. they still won by five touchdowns. Yeah, I thought that. I don't know what was going on in the first defensive series, but they looked like they forgot how to play football for five plays. And like, I know that's the first. That was weird for me. Like that, I don't know. It was just like that drive. That drive was happening, and Nebraska's moving the ball, and like Luke McCaffrey comes in the game and has that long run, and I'm just like watching it happening. I was like. Is the, like does the football season start it? Let's start it. We're watching the Big Ten football season right now. Okay, Nebraska's in the end zone. It's seven nothing Nebraska. That happened. Okay, and like it it took me like two drives to like figure out what was happening. And like I'm just some schlub who watches football on television. I think there's something to the idea of like starting the season when they started it. Like that started like shock. Everyone like everyone wasn't ready to play right away because they just couldn't believe it was happening in the first place. Well, Nebraska was ready to play. They scored in five. Nebraska plays. was well, yeah. You know, <laughs> they sued. They sued for that opportunity. Yeah, I don't know. I uh they 
it that wasn't an indication of what Ohio State's defense was, but I was very confused by it because it didn't even look like they were running that hard. Like I don't know, it's it didn't seem like they were really. I don't know how to say it. It all it's appeared that, to happen in slow motion to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. It didn't seem like they were playing as hard as they could, and I don't know if it was just like again shock trying to ease into the game confused at some point because i thought that nebraska was super creative with the way they use mccaffrey yeah um and like is he a quarterback is he a running back i don't know but every time he touched the ball i thought he was going 20 yards and he did have a few nice runs um but after that i thought that they did a very good job of settling down and nebraska got 14 points in the first half when they have three in the second half um, yeah, and part of that's because they they missed a touchdown throw. Oh, he was um, wide open too. I thought he should have caught it. It was, like, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a hot it was a hot pass, but I thought he should have caught it. It was through his hands. It was a little bit behind him too, wasn't it? It was behind him, but it still went through his hands. Yeah. Um, so they didn't get a touchdown there, and then I can't remember if that was the drive or there was another drive when. Uh, they, they kicked also the field kicked goal a, when they should have tried to score an ill-advised out. field goal that you and I always joke about. Yeah, I don't understand. Uh, Ryan Day goes for it on fourth and three from his own thirty-three yard line, and and Scott Frost is out here kicking field goals in a game where he's a five touchdown under, four touchdown underdog. Well, at least he didn't kick the ball into the end zone from the thirty like Baylor. I didn't see that either. But I don't, Baylor I it was a yeah. When you when you can net ten yards on a punt, you got to do it. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where you can uh, kick a field goal to make it a one to go from a two score game to a two score game, you have to do it. It's honestly happening all the time. Uh, Tennessee was inside the Alabama fifteen uh, on a fourth and two, down fourteen nothing at home, and kicked the field goal. It's like these. It's a some of these are fireable offenses, in my opinion. If I were an athletic director, I'd walk down from the press box and go, "You obviously don't know what how to coach a football game. You're fired." Speaking <laughs> of fireable offenses, uh, Northwestern beat Maryland forty three to three. But Mike Loxley knows the DMV, so it's all good. <laughs> Are you mocking me? <laughs> no, no, Are you not mocking you. Me that's, what him. that's what everybody <laughs> says about him. Yeah, it's like he knows the DMV. Great. Does he know football? Yeah, I don't know. Because they lost uh, forty-three to three. To I saw game. somewhere that Northwestern minus eleven was their lock of the week, and I'm like, yeah, you're going to lay two two scores to a team that couldn't get a first down last year, and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Juggernaut, Pey- Peyton Ramsey, and them boys. Juggernaut in the Big Ten West. That was my I mean, if, team if Northwestern's. If Northwestern's offense is half as good as they were tonight consistently, I think that they could be a solid team in the Big Ten. For sure, because they're always good defensively. Yeah. Well, at least against their most common caliber of competition. Maybe not against Ohio State, but in the West, they can hold up for sure. Yeah, I have a weird idea, and I don't know if you want to do this on the Sunday show, uh, on Monday show, uh, or whenever this is published, because I know it's going to – the it's first show vary depending on game times and stuff, but I don't know if you want to do a MVP of the game and best surprise and all that stuff, or do you want to? I, I'm kind of springing it on you, but um, I could go first if you want. We can do that. Let's yeah, let's program our podcast while we're recording it. We can do that. Another idea that I had that I didn't mention to you, but I thought we could do on these okay. podcasts when we come off a game is like a. Um, a stock up, stock down kind of thing. And it doesn't yeah, necessarily cool. have to be a player. Like it can be like an idea or it can be a position group or it can be whatever we want. And we want to do like, this is like each. the Dan Levitard show. Now we can do like one up and one down for each of us. Okay. We're both ill-prepared to do both of our. Yeah. Ideas, neither, of us did, neither of us did the research, <laughs> <laughs> the research for this. Well, next week um, we'll start those things then. Um, yeah. Unless we can think of one right now in the final 10 minutes, 10 minutes of the podcast. Okay, how about I do my idea and then you do your idea, and then okay. next week we'll do both or one or whatever. We'll just we'll people can tell it. us which one they like the most. Yeah. Um, okay, and I, I uh, I'm trying to think on how I want to do this. This is making for really shitty podcasting right now. I'm sorry, boys. I'm sorry. It's late. We're recording this at almost midnight on Saturday. I thought the game MVP was Garrett Wilson. Seven receptions for 129 yards and a touchdown, including catching a laser. Also showed versatility in a somewhat new position and in a first time being in this expanded role. I thought the most exciting newcomer of the game was Jackson Smith Najigba because anybody who can stop their body in midair and <laughs> score a touchdown pass with their right foot, despite the fact that their body's going 100 miles an hour in the other direction, 
is amazing. I thought like comeback player or most cool to see player was um, Haskell Garrett because a it's a miracle that he's well and playing, but another nice performance from somebody at a position of great need. Um, I don't know. My defensive player, dude. You're speaking of defensive players. Your seven banks tweet. You were on. You were on fire today. I've had a pretty good like thirty six hours of Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're you're breaking the rule, but you're you're doing it. You're you're. <laughs> he, seven banks has better balance than um. Daniel, Daniel Jones. Jones. Danny Dimes. Danny Dimes. Um. Yeah. What's your stock up, stock down idea? Uh, my stock up on Ohio State's offense leaning more toward the pass in a significant way than it did last year. It's a question we got asked a lot, I think, in the offseason. Like, what's this going to look like? Obviously, they're going to throw the ball more, but but how much more are they going to throw the ball? And at the risk of putting way too much um, stock into one game, a one-game sample size. Um, and it's more about feels, I think, than it is what I did not see from the running game. I think that it skews fairly heavily, or at least more heavily than I thought, toward throwing the ball quite a bit. They're better Justin, when they throw. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, Justin it's, Fields it's, only threw it 22 times today because that's all it really took, I think. But I think coming into the year, I was somewhere like, 28-ish pass attempts for Justin Fields per game. And I think that's a number that's probably up over 30. Maybe not quite 35, but um, the offense was like 62% run last year. And I think it ends up being like 55, 57, 58% pass this year, which is a pretty stark um, reversal from what we saw last season. So, I'm I'm buying I'm buying that idea that the offense is going to trend more toward a passing offense in, in a in a more significant way than than I anticipated coming into the year. Yeah, I uh I found myself thinking on third and three they should throw it. And that hasn't necessarily been the sensation that I felt watching this team for ten years. Yeah. I don't know if that's gonna be like a thing. <laughs> but They've got and too I th- many. I don't think anybody in the country can cover all those guys. They have a lot there. They have a lot, and and you know that's that's hinging on Chris Olave being healthy, and, we, and you know we hope for his sake that he is um, moving forward. But if he's healthy and everyone else is is available, um, it could be pretty special. It could be pretty special because they like they love. We didn't see much of Juice Man on Saturday either. I know. Um, I think not in the return game. So yeah, I don't know what that's about. Demario dropped the kickoff. Maybe that means I'll pull him out and put Juice Man on there. But that didn't happen. Um, stock down. Mm, maybe I'd go stock down, like on on the linebackers, sort of as a general position group. And, and not that I thought they were awful today, but I thought, given all of their experience, that they should not have had the start that they had against Nebraska. And as I said at the start of this, I, I think when you're that deep, you have all those juniors behind those seniors who've been waiting their turn, and I, and I have no reason to think that those guys aren't talented. When you're that deep, um, I think you have to substitute a little more liberally and get some of those young guys onto the field. If if the guys who are starting just aren't making the right plays or they're making mistakes that are costing you, like if you have depth and you say you're not allowed, not afraid to play depth, then play depth because. Um, you don't want to have your. You don't want to get caught against a, a team that can hurt you more than Nebraska was able to hurt Ohio State today with some of that misdirection and shifting and all that stuff. So I'm a little down. I'm not way down. I'm I'm less down on that than I am up on the, on the passing game. But I'm down a little bit on on the idea of linebackers' strongest, deepest position group on the defense. One thing that we didn't really touch on before we get out of here, I wanted to get your take on. Where's your stock on the secondary, cornerback play, uh, defensive back play? Um, so I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good today. I think um, I'm, I'm interested to, to rewatch the game and get a better feel for Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor because, like, my eye watching the game told me that Proctor popped a little more. Um, but I want to I want to rewatch it to see if it holds up that way. The corners I don't think were tested a bunch, but when they were, I thought they were pretty good. Sean Wade missed a tackle on the edge, but that happens sometimes. 
Um, Seven Banks clearly flashed with this fumble fumble return. I thought he was decent in coverage when they threw at him, and there wasn't there wasn't as much rotation there as I thought there would be. Either. It was basically Banks and Wade, and then when they went nickel, they brought Cam Brown in. Um, so I thought they were good. I thought it was not it was not as good of a test as I thought it might be coming in, but certainly um, when they were tested, they held up well. Yeah. So do you want to give an overall grade for Ohio State's performance? Grade on the game, I would say like a B plus. Um, I think the offense is pretty good, even with all the the, the stuff that, that was left to be desired with the run game. The passing game was just so good and like so on point that, that I'm willing to overlook that a little bit because they scored 52 points. Um, and even if the defense was like a – C plus or a B minus, I think the offense ups the average a little bit. So I'd say B plus effort. Yeah, I'd or, say B. Or result. I'd say B. Um, more like a dollar B. Dollar B. That's me. Um, did you want to like regret not taking a 50, a 50 burger uh, on your score prediction for week one after you averaged? And they got there, man. It was almost like a they scored that last touch and they're like, yeah, Bill, there, there, there you go for doubting us. That's how I. That's uh, what I heard. I'm fine. I'm f- I'm fine looking like an ass not picking them to score 50 in the opener after saying they'd average 50 for the season as long as they actually scored 50 and in the end I'm going to be right about the prediction for the season. So I'm okay with that. I'll I'll take the the hit now for for the long term payoff. <laughs> I mean, you were right. That last <laughs> touchdown. I mean, <laughs> Jack Miller. Uh, Did we basically nail that though? Top. You you were I think you were 51-17, so you were like one off. Yeah. Um, I was forty nine seventeen, yeah, and it should have been forty five seventeen. But Ryan Day was mean, and he tacked on an extra touchdown against Scott Frost. He's too nice. I, for. Yeah, he's too nice. No, I thought it was a really good. I thought it was a good opening game. It was a very strange environment. Um, yeah, you want to talk about your experience there? Yeah, I, I guess like briefly. I, I always drive down High Street because I like driving through campus, like just to get sort of like the energy going for a college football game because I enjoy that stuff. And there was like no vehicle traffic, very little foot traffic to speak of. A few bars had lines outside of them, but but nothing too crazy from what I saw. And then like nobody near the stadium. It was weird. Like the closer you got to the stadium, the fewer people you saw, which is it's usually the opposite. Um, and once you got there, there was nobody there. No band, super quiet. And once the game started, you kind of forgot about that. But then like stuff would happen as like you're going through the pregame, like Ohio State, they arrive, they go through like a walkthrough stuff. They're not in their pads yet, and then they all leave the field, and then they go back and they get dressed, they put on the full pads, and they come back down the tunnel. And like that's not we're running onto the field for the game to start. That's we're running onto the field for our final warmups before the game starts. So usually when that happens and they like start appearing in the tunnel, there's like a pretty like low roar that like builds and builds and builds, and then people cheer because they know it's like 20 minutes until kickoff and they're getting excited. And like Ohio State walked down the tunnel and was just waiting there, and like it was dead silent. It was that was that was the time where I think the silence stuck out most to me. Um, and then whenever a big play happened, nothing. And even the crowd noise they were playing, like I, you couldn't hear it in the press box. I don't know how loud it came across on TV, but you couldn't hear it at all in the press box. Yeah, when you're you watching it on TV, you forget completely about it because the shot's so tight, you don't see the fans. Yeah, when I've watched these games on television, when I do the wide shots, you're like, oh, that looks weird. But then 10 minutes later, it's it's normal. Um, when you're there in person and you just like peek your head up and look around for a second like it's just like a constant reminder like this isn't normal this isn't normal this isn't normal um but i didn't think it didn't take away from the game at all i i didn't think but part of what makes college football great is the atmosphere and there was none and it was it was strange maybe it'll get it'll get more normal as we go through more weeks of this but for seeing it for the first time was really weird what was the freshest of the of the donato's pie they put out there for the media didn't have one uh it said that donato's pizza was going to be out 30 minutes uh, before kickoff, and then I saw people like 45 minutes before kickoff start eating some, and I thought, well, I'll grab one before the game starts. And with like 20 minutes before the game started, I went back there to get one, and there was none there. It was all gone. You ate no lunch today? No lunch. I didn't eat till I got home. I ate uh, I ate my two pregame McMuffins in the parking lot at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, and then I ate again when I got home at like 5. No wonder you're yawning. Yeah, I mean, I made up for it when I got home. But, yeah, no, I know. Um, that's not that's not a good game day. I used to gorge myself on game day. I did grab um, 
they had some boxes of popcorn laid out after the game, not during the game, but after the game. And I grabbed one of those on the way out. But that was uh, it was not the normal eating experience in the Ohio Stadium press. Yeah, box. no McFlurry yeah. or no uh, McCafe, whatever those things are called. Car- yeah, caramel mocha, whatever. Frappe, frappe. Yeah, none of those. Still had the Coke on draft though. The reason why I brought this up is because we went an hour of talking without talking about food once, and it was kind of annoying me. Yeah, I think I think it's uh it's somewhere in our in our work uh, agreements that we have to talk about food in every podcast. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about. Uh, more food on uh, later in the week when we do our next podcast, as I assume we'll ask you about what your favorite uh, Pennsylvania stops are, and if it's just sheets, then we'll move on. But maybe there's a <laughs> maybe there's a spot out there that you're looking forward to eating next week. And um, B plus for Bill for Ohio State, B for Ari, and then F for food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Donato, so they didn't have a shot anyway. Even if I ate it, it still would have been an F. No, the Donatos, uh, when you get it fresh in Columbus, is pretty good. The Donatos they give you at media events and in the basketball arena is terrible. It's yeah. not the same. What, it's not even whatever. the same I was, I mean, I was happy to be in there, so I'm not complaining too much. I drank a lot yeah. of coffee. I made up for it in coffee. Good. But uh, but no no Donatos pie. Yeah, so it was strange. I, and I'm, I'm uh, eager to see. I'll be at the Penn State game next weekend. Um, I think Beaver Stadium empty will be even stranger than Ohio Stadium empty. Yeah, um, at night on Halloween is at night weirdest, on Halloween. You couldn't come up with a weirder, weirder situation than that. Yeah, it's going to be strange because um, on Halloween night, that's when it's supposed to be the craziest too. Everybody's, yeah, you get it. Yeah, nice and lubed up. Yeah, yep. Yeah, dressed in costumes. Nope, not this time. Cardboard cutout. It's a shame. And silence. Yeah. It is. It is a shame. Um, but it's what we have this year. And like I said, hopefully it doesn't doesn't take away from the from the product on the field because I thought the product that Ohio State put out there on Saturday was pretty good. Um, we'll talk about the Penn State Ohio State game more in depth later this week, both on four to six with AMB and on the Big Football Show, our daily Big Ten podcast. Uh, we'll likely have an opportunity for you guys to ask questions uh, on our episode later this week as well. If you want to to subscribe to the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash/four-dash-six gets you one dollar per month and you can sign up and then go to the forum that we'll post and ask us questions. We'll also ask you to please leave any five-star Apple reviews that you might be able to leave to help us out. And we'll talk to you guys later this week. 